You know the old adage, put up or shut up. Champion boxer Heather Hardy has taken that to heart. Let's lace him up. The climb to the top feels so good when you get there. Is it just us or can it feel lonely sometimes, even when you're successful? And who defines success anyway? What about life's twists and turns? We've learned a few things along the way, and we're ditching the culture of competitiveness. Bringing together women from different backgrounds to share their stories. Let's do this together. Welcome to Think Tank of Three podcast. Hi, I'm Rishia Candidate Capasuris, alongside Julie Holton and Audrey of Fink, and we are your Think Tank of Three. Heather Hardy hasn't done anything the easy way, not even getting into the boxing world, but she has excelled at her craft and made a name for herself. And she isn't just about throwing jabs in the ring. Heather Hardy is fighting for equality in her sport and all women from her corner. Heather, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Think Tank of Three. Thanks for having me. What an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) We love this. We love your story. I personally got to know you a couple of months ago, and I just, in that conversation with you on our webcast, I was like, I'm sorry, I got to talk to her again, period, end of story. So I'm just, I'm super excited about this. So let's, let's just get into it. We had mentioned that nothing has come easy for you, not even getting into boxing in the first place. Could you just please just share how you found your way into the boxing ring to begin with? Uh, Sure. I was uh, really late when I started boxing. I was 28. I was in the middle of a divorce and uh, me and my kid sister were living together and we were like two single moms, not getting child support. So we had like a little thing. Like I was like the dad and I worked all day, like, like six or seven different jobs. And my sister stayed home with the kids and they opened up a little karate school close to our house. So she had give me a gift certificate to kind of get give me a life because all I did was work and see the kids you know and um within three weeks I had my first fight it was just like wow I'm good at something finally and just thought this can be my way out how incredible I mean I have goosebumps as you're talking because we talk a lot about women's journeys on this podcast and you know the best success stories are it never fails that there's stories where women hit rock bottom or really hit, you know, kind of that, that low point. And, and I, and I hearing your story, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, struggling so many jobs and kids and you and your sister pulling together to make it happen. And then you discover this incredible thing that, I mean, had you ever even thought about boxing before? Was that even something on your radar? No, oddly though, like as a kid, I always felt like I wanted to be great at something. I just didn't know what it was. And part of the problem when you live in like lower working class neighborhoods is there's not a lot of programs and things there for you to try, right? right? Growth is not promoted, survival is. So when you're in high school, they're not looking to send you to all sorts of sports camps and music and art. They're handing out applications for the police department and for the fire department. And, you know, women are getting married and settling down and waiting for your parents to die to move into their house. So, I mean, that's, that unfortunately is what that part of life is like when you don't have funds. So I spent a great deal of my life just trying real hard to figure out what I was, what I could be good at, you know, to, to get me out of there. That's the third time you said that now, finally, I'm good at something. So I guess my question to you, I grew up with that support system. Um, We didn't have a, a ton, you know, we were a normal family. I found out in my adulthood that there were some money struggles that I 
didn't realize were money struggles because I was a kid and my parents were just like, that's not for you to know. But no matter what I was, I always felt that you can do anything. You can be anything. We've got this, you, you take care of what you need to take care of. I feel like that is a battle. You, it feels like it's a battle you might've had to deal with as a kid that not necessarily having that, because I hear you saying, finally, I'm good at something. And there was never a question in my mind of, was I going to be good at something? It was, you'll get, you're, you're, you're strong enough. You're smart enough. You can do whatever you want to do. What was, what was in your head through the, through that childhood, through that buildup and getting into boxing, where when you finally get to boxing at 29, that's when you say, finally, I'm good at something. Well, you kind of just uh, kind of like when you don't have money and your family doesn't have money, like you kind of look at things like, oh, man, I wish I could have that. And it never really seems like you could. Like I can remember uh, I was married a long time ago and my my ex-husband and I were we used to take like drives in the car and we would go through like the nice, nice neighborhoods and just to look at like the balconies and the cars. And I was like, and you just have this feeling like, man, why'd I have to be born into this life without the thought that there's ever, ever a chance that you won't be. People where I come from don't leave. Like you would just have a baby and then you get married and then you literally wait for your parents to die and you move into your mom's house. And that's how it goes. You don't think that things are available to you. And it wasn't until I started boxing and started competing and started winning. I think it was when I won my first national title that I thought, wow, like I, I, could, I could use this to do something. I could be somebody. And it makes me think of the quote. There's a quote that says like the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. And it made me realize the saddest thing in life is never finding your talent, like never finding a passion. People who just go through life waiting for the day to end, the next day to start, not enough hours to make money. That's the saddest thing in life. I agree. So tell us a little bit about like when boxing like when the light bulb turned on did you was it like your very first class going was it once you had been in there for a while like tell us a little bit about the time between walking in the building for the first time and maybe that first win when you were like I can do this this is a thing yeah I mean the light bulb took like a little over a year to go off I knew I loved it and I had a lot of people around me I was a single mom you know 28 going on 29 People tell me, stay out of the gym, get, you got to focus on work, figure out what you're going to do. I mean, I was a college graduate. I just couldn't use my degree to do anything. So I was working all sorts of little odd jobs just to bring cash in to pay the bills. And um, it was probably that, like I said, that moment when I won a national title. It was the first time I had ever been to the West Coast. First time I had ever seen real life mountains. And I was at the Olympic Training Center and I I beat up five girls in a row in six days and I won a national title. And it was just like, wow, I could keep doing this. Maybe make some money, maybe make something out of myself. And I really just, that's when I turned it around and put all of my energy into fighting. Okay. So it also didn't take long for you to realize that something's a little bit off when it comes to women in boxing compared to men. Can you talk us through that discovery? Sure. I always tell the story. When I was ready to turn pro after I had won all the amateur titles, I won a national title, metros, regionals, golden gloves. I beat up everybody in my weight class for like a year and a half. And um, I was like, okay, I'm going to turn pro. And a couple of the girls who are already world champions told me like, just this isn't your career. Like you'll never make money doing this. And I had this kind of flashback moment 
to being a kid. And I was like the biggest Yankee fan in the whole world. Like I had a Yankee, ta- I got a Yankee tattoo on my back as my first one. I mean, I was 15. I was listening to every single Yankee game, 162 games a year. I didn't miss one. And when I was little, little, I wanted to play baseball, but they didn't let me because only the boys were allowed to play baseball. And I had this moment where I was like, man, why do I have to be a girl? Why do I got always like the boy stuff? And then I had that same moment in boxing. I just won all these titles. Man, why don't I be a girl? If I was a boy, I'd be making so much money. And, and as a mother of a girl, I just thought like, what kind of life are we passing on to our kids, our legacy? Why are we still saying shit like, man, I wish I wasn't a girl. And it just drove me to want to push that issue, to change the sport, to change the nature of how little girls think. So what did you do when you realized what was going on, when you sort of had that aha moment of, man, I wish I wasn't a girl and man, I wish I didn't keep saying, I wish I wasn't a girl. What? I mean, I can, I can remember where I was sitting. I was like sitting in the old place and leaning on one of the rings and all these thoughts are going into my head. And it's like, single moms are really good at troubleshooting, you know, like we figure all the way around Mm -hmm. everything. I knew that I had to, you know, use my brain to see how am I going to make these promoters want to, want to put me on. At the time, there was no women in the Olympics boxing. Women's boxing was not, um, put into the Olympics until 2012, the year I turned pro. So there were very limited spots. You had big play, uh, companies like Showtime, ESPN, who were vocally saying, we're not televising female fights. So promoters had little to no reason to put us on the show. So to me, I just thought, what if I'm a, a short-term investment, right? Like what if I sell so many friggin' tickets that the promoters can't deny me a spot? So I was out there selling 10, 15, $20,000 in tickets making $700 and $800 to fight. But at the time, like is the story for women across the board, we spend years trying to just prove ourselves, right? Like maybe if I'm good enough, they'll pay me more, they'll recognize me, they'll see me. And pretty much the first five to six years of my fight career looked like that, where I was just selling out tickets, selling, I mean, the Barclays Center, I was, they all loved me because I would go and get handfuls of tickets and sell them and bring them checks. But the money never changed. And the more popular I got, the more people that would listen to me. I have a feeling there are a lot of women listening right now who maybe are not in touch with the boxing world, right? But are, are drawing all of these parallels in their own yeah. lives to your yes. story. And one thing that really stands out to me, Heather, is you know when you said it wasn't until 2012 that women boxing was became a part of the Olympics, like like that was less than 10 years ago. Like so often we hear this pushback, this argument back from, from men and even from women who will, who will say, oh, well, times are, you know, times have changed. Like stop, st- you know, stop making this, you know, a, a man, woman thing. But the reality is this is the reality that, you know, in so many ways, women are not equal to men. I mean, what would the promoters tell you about, you know, why, why the money disparity? Why, why do they not, you know, why are the differences? What are some of the what are some um, excuses? There are so many, right? And I mean, there are so much 
systematic sexism that's just built into the business of boxing. And it makes it very easy for people to point the finger in a circle. So it's not me, it's the network. And the networks go, it's not me, it's the small promoters. And they go, no, it's the big promoters. You know, Now, because women have international recognition at the Olympics, they're getting more recognition than you know 10 years ago when I started. But a lot of the times people would say, nobody wants to see women fight. Well, how do you know? You don't promote us. You don't put us on TV. You don't bring us up like the boys, right? They would say uh, it's the same in like most women's sports, right? Right. Like, unless but you're... we're not promoted, right? Like you see, right. Right. you know, the big argument is the NBA and the WNBA. Well, is the WNBA like shown NBA games are promoted by the network? No, they're shown on like small and sports networks three months at, season not even a full yeah. regular season and it's how many women's basketball them. players are like recognized by nike or there's commercials or shown in in magazines like i read a stat actually i want to go ahead and call them out because i think they're terrible at what they're doing um adidas had posted a commercial and they said the saddest thing is that less than 3% of female athletes are represented in the media. And then they had the absolute nerve to use models as characters in their commercial. And I, at the time, was signed with Adidas Boxing and was like, how dare you? Like, how dare you use a fitness influencer in a commercial that's specifically targeting the, the, the extreme sexism that of women shown in the media and you're showing models instead of the yes. real athletes I mean, the athletes you're signed with yeah right and it's it's true like women aren't given sponsorship opportunities and then so it's like it's like saying you're not allowed to do this but i am going to hold it against you and that's really been the, the story of my career in boxing I think it was Allison like- Felix she's a sprinter USA sprinter in the Olympics um as we speak and it was I can't, I, 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 I want to say Nike, but I, I don't know. It, it was Nike, she, right? She was dropped Where by they Nike. dropped her because of her maternity leave. They were, that's what it was. They weren't going to pay her through her maternity, but if a guy gets injured or something, cause let's face it, men cannot have babies, but if a guy no. gets injured, there's no slowdown of his money, nothing at all, but she has maternity leave. Oh, well, you're not, you're not participating in your sport. Well, that doesn't make any sense because, you know, if LeBron James busts his ankle, he's not participating in his sport, but you didn't cut off, but you didn't cut off his money. So it's, it's really, it's quite interesting how that, how the, the companies can, and, and have gotten away with it. And, and, and we have little, little, little dots on the screen throwing, you know, saying, take a look. And, and, and you have someone like Heather who stands up and yells and screams about it, but we haven't gotten that wave yet to really force the change that needs to be forced. It's, it's, it's gotta be frustrating. Cause I, I know, I don't know how, how you feel you haven't given up. I know that how hard is it though, for you to continue this, this fight with the pushback that I know that you're facing. Uh, it's really challenging because I'm at, I think that you get, I'm 39. I turned 39 this year. So I'm at like that age, like you go, I don't know if anyone in the chat is as my age, but you go through this like transformation from 30 to 35 now to almost 40, where I'm just like, get out of here. 
I'm not taking no money. I'm not doing it for nothing. I'm not here for you. You're here for me. And if you don't want it, I don't go. I don't fight. You know, like as a kid, you were so insecure. You doubt yourself. You doubt. I know what I bring to the table. You ain't going to convince me that I don't. And it's very simply put, I won't fight if you don't pay me. I was offered $20,000 to go to the UK to fight for a world title. That's offensive. It cost me more than $20,000 to fight, right? Like I'm coming out of pocket for a guy to offer me. His wristwatch costs more than he's offering me to do a 10-round world title fight across the country, across the world. Get out of here. 10 years ago, I would have did it. You know, that, that resonates so much with me. And obviously, I'm not a boxer. But I think it's so, I've actually noticed this, you know, when I was in my 30s, I would negotiate for higher pay. I would do whatever job was in front of me. If they wanted to add responsibilities, I would take it because I needed the job and I didn't think I was worth enough. And at this point, I'm like, "Eh, I don't, I'm not going to work for you for less than I'm worth. I'm not going to do bullshit work, you know? No, but you notice they like, that's why a lot of like in sports, it's like, they get rid of the old ladies. We make too much noise. <laughs> they don't want to deal with us. They want these young girls who will do anything on the up. And, oh, yes. it's going to get better for me. It's going to get better for me. No, babe, it's not. <laughs> it's not. And I can't help but think, you, you mentioned earlier too, about your kids. And kind of back to this whole conversation about what these big companies are doing. It's not just hurting the 39-year-olds of the world. or you know, It's not just hurting the women. But look at what these little girls grow up seeing. They don't grow up seeing the actual athletes like you were talking about. They grow up seeing these, you know, perfect looking models or just seeing men. And what does that teach our little girls about who they're allowed to become in this world? Or what they well, have and to they, become, right? Yeah. And we shame athletes who don't fit that. Like, I remember Serena Williams getting crap for having cellulite. And it was like, are you kidding me? She's one of the all-time, she is like the ultimate women's tennis player, period. She's the best. You know she works out. You know she takes care of herself because she has to. You're going to give her crap for cellulite? Like, come oh, on. Like, I get it all the time because I have, yeah. you know, the stretch marks from my daughter. So yeah. it's like, ew, stretch marks, you know, or uh, if I gain a couple pounds, social media is sure to tell me how fat I got and get back in the gym and do this and do that. I mean, it's, it's brutal out there. I'm like, like Un- to your, to what you were saying is now there's so, with social media, there's so much more pressure, even from promoters will tell you things like you have to go out and promote yourself. And what that really means is you have to go out and be half naked on the internet. If you want fans, it's the only way. And especially in fighting, probably 70% of my fan base is men. So there's no, there's no such thing as me getting any kind of like feminine endorsement. Like I remember one, one time I got reached out by manscaping to see if I would, yeah, they wanted to know to do a sponsorship deal. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. You know, it was, I just read a story and, and so my husband is really, he, he, he laughs, he gets up, he sits and he's like, how come when we're watching beach volleyball, he literally asked this question. He's like, why are they wearing bikinis? And the guys are wearing these like baggy shorts and tank tops. Right. And we just saw, I just read an article about beach hand volley, beach handball. 
and there was a Netherlands team and the women specifically asked to wear like the, the boy shorts type of shorts versus the bikini bottoms. And yes. they were told no. So they wore them anyway. Then they were fined each player. <laughs> they were fined a certain amount of money because they didn't wear the quote defined uniform of the international or whatever national, whatever uniform, which was bikini bottoms that could only cover so much. I'm like, wait, what kind of sense does that make? And then they have the two teams side by side. And of course the guys are wearing their regular shorts and right. whatever shirt, right. baggy short, baggy shirt, by the way, on that. And the girls in the, and it's like, it's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's like when, and, and I think now more and more of that is being noticed and, and discussed, but the fact that it's 2021 and now more and more of that is being noticed and discussed. And I don't, and I'm over here, like even the shorts they wore, I'm like, I don't think I'd leave the house in those shorts. So, right? I mean, but it, so it's still like, why are we even paying attention to what the women are wearing instead of the sport they're playing? And I was so happy when I saw, I don't know if you saw the follow-up to that, that pink came out and yeah. said she was going to pay the fine. And okay. then also along those same lines, the, is it the German gymnastics team? I think it's the team from Germany that decided to wear the full body, um, you know, yes. what are they, the, not, instead of wearing the leotards, they're wearing the full body, you know, pants, it's still skin tight. They're still, you know, which of course for their sport is probably what they're most comfortable in. And I know that Simone Biles came out and said that she's just not as like, she'd rather wear the leotard, but the whole point being, why are we so focused on what women are wearing and what women, of women are, wearing. are still women. only valuable if we are sexual, sexualized, sexualized. Yeah. Like the fact that you as an almost 40 year old woman, me as an almost 40 year old woman, right? Ha like we're being judged because we aren't sexy enough. Like, yo, I'm 40. I'm not trying to be sexy for you. I'm not but trying to be sexy also, for me. It also goes the other way because as a woman, if you decide that you want to be sexy or you want to wear really short shorts, you're kind of like discriminated against and people get on your case and always have something to say. Anyway, you can't be a woman. There's no right way. Nobody's ever happy enough. You're either too sexy, not sexy enough, too conservative, not conservative enough. You, Your body is too thin, you're too fat. The answer is this, like, or too muscular. Yeah. Or, or anything. It's like, you can't do anything right. That's why it's just like, man, do whatever you want anyway. Cause they get, they can talk anyway and talk anyway. I want to switch gears a little bit to, you know, to kind of focus on the kind of the gender stereotypes aside for a moment, like you are an incredible boxer. So let's focus on your career for a moment. You know, here we are still trying to get out of the pandemic. You know, as of this taping, it is the very beginning of August. And, you know, we're not going to get into all the headlines and what's happening, but, you know, this, this next variant is causing a lot of problems. We're seeing a lot of new restrictions or old restrictions coming back into place. And there's just a lot of buzz again about what our world's going to look like over the next couple of months. And I can only imagine, I mean, we, we've seen that the pandemic has already caused just chaos in the sports world, especially boxing. What type of, of impact do you really think that this pandemic is, is having? And you can tie that into the, to the equity battle too, but you know, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I, because boxing doesn't, was never my, um, 
main source of income. They don't pay you that much. I had another job throughout the pandemic. My promoter called me and said, look, you're not going to fight till at least 2020, uh, 2021. So you got to figure it out. If you need any money, call me. I'm happy to take care of you and your daughter, but don't, don't wait for a fight. I said, okay. And, you know, I've kind of transitioned over the years into teaching boxing because as a fighter, it was the easiest way to um, stay in the gym while I was training and be able to make money to pay the bills. So alongside my training, I would teach and any fitness professional will tell you that in the pandemic, all anyone did was work out. So I would be teaching tons of lessons at the park or, you know, in my building, I got clients in my building. I started teaching. I was just hustling around with boxing gloves and pads and giving people workouts for a year. And that's kind of what I'm doing now, which is, you know, somewhat of a transitional thing. It's not what I'm going to look at forever, but because of the slowdown at the time in my career, I'm really now deciding, do I really want to do this? Am I going to look to get back into it or just hang it up and start a new project? It seems like there would be a lot of value in teaching courses on boxing, especially for women who kind of want to like find their power again. Well, boxing is a beautiful sport because it can be taken to any level that you want. Some people find boxing therapeutic and they'll just come and I'll be like a bartender and they'll, you know, dump out all their problems on me for an hour while they hit the bag or hit the mid. Some people really want to compete. Other people just like it as part of a fitness routine. I mean, there's so many levels to why people come to box, but it's a community. Like so many people Mm -hmm. will tell you it's a real community. Like you go into a boxing gym, you see cops and lawyers and doctors and, you know, millionaires and, kids who can barely lace up their boxing shoes, right? Like all come together and have that one thing in common that like transcends what happens when you leave the door. And that's really what it's like. It's, it's a community. Well, I hope people are coming to you looking to, uh, to get advice on life from you through boxing. Cause let me tell you, you're just, just as I'm listening to you and, and, and listening to your passion and your story lady. <laughs> There's a circuit out there and it's called the speaking circuit and it's for you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that is, that is one of, one of the things in my brain that I would love to, I love to fight and I love to talk. <laughs> Perfect mix. Yeah. All right. So you, you have a teenage daughter. How has she influenced your decision-making in terms of what you will and won't take. How I think as she... parents, we're always we're always like kind of doing everything, knowing my daughter is watching this, right? Mm-hmm. My daughter is watching this. But just to to go a step further, a lot of people's daughters are watching me, right? Like a lot yeah. of people's daughters are watching the decisions that I make and the things that I say and do. And I, you know, I have to be proud of myself. And one thing I will say about my career is I never sold out. I never held my tongue. I never pretended something was that it wasn't. And, and I always live my life like that, whether it's boxing or anything else, any choice I make, like I, I made it. And this is why I never sell out yeah. just for money or for a job or for nothing. What does your daughter think about mom in the ring? Does she come to your fights? Does she participate? Is she boxing at all? Would you want her to box? So when she was a kid, I I used to try to get her, but she's more of like an arts music kid, never really like physically into it. And my favorite story is 
when I had won my very first title, I was headlining at BB King's and Annie was there. And after the fight, she was crying. And there's this beautiful photo of her over the ropes crying and I'm hugging her and I'm saying, baby, it's okay. It's okay. And she was like, is it done yet? I want to go home. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, I think, I, I think that there will come a time when she'll look at my career and be like, wow, I can't believe my mom did that. But I think all kids kind of live in a bubble where I'm just mom. I'm just geeky, embarrassing, annoying, not cool. Mom. And that's exactly how it should be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I love too that you are encouraging her to find her strengths. You know, it's yeah. so great that, I mean, it's so great that she is not feeling any pressure to follow in her mom's footsteps. Yes. This is all about discovering her talents just as you found yours. Yeah, that's why it was so important to me. I didn't want her to have to wait until she was 28 to find something she was good at. I wanted her when to, uh, the goal was to get to a, a neighborhood, a place where, you know, she was going to be exposed to things like art and music, cooking, dance, things that I didn't have when I grew up so that she could find something that she loves, something to be passionate about. Is there a small part of you, though, that would say, oh, just just step in there for a minute, even just to make sure that when you're walking down the street, you got the left, right. <laughs> no, no, we carry pepper spray in this house. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Heather, where does your strength come from? You have such a, a power of you're not going to take me down no matter what. Where does that come from? A lot of people ask me that. I think that you're either, I think that's one of them things like you either got it or you don't, you know, you can't learn that. I got a lot of kids come to me because they want to box. They want to fight young girls. And I, I, over the years learned that some people just want to want it. They don't know how to want it. They don't know how to sacrifice, how to push. I can't teach nobody that you either do it or you don't. And where do I think come from? Probably my mother. My mother and father both worked two jobs growing up. And I was the oldest sister with the key on the shoelace. And I would wait for my brother and sister and bring them home. And it was like, I just learned real young that, and I taught this to my sister. And if she heard this, she'd be rolling her eyes because I told her her whole life. There are two things in life, things you want to do and things you got to do. You got to do the got to do's first. Don't matter if Mm -hmm. you want to do them. You got to do them first. So that's kind of just how my mind always was. Like, I don't have a choice. I got to take the kids home. I got to make sure they have a snack. I got to do their homework. Got to make sure they go out and get to, got to make sure the bath is done. Got to make sure dinner gets ready for when mommy comes home. You know, like those were all the things I had to do. It didn't matter if I was sick or tired or if I wanted to go out. You have a choice. Like I don't have a choice but to survive. I got a kid. I don't have a choice but to work. What's the alternative, right? It's so interesting to see how that inner strength develops. So I had, my parents got divorced. God, I think I was 13 or 14. And as soon as I got my driver's license, like I was the one out buying groceries. I was the one, you know, carting people back and forth. And once my dad sort of moved out, I turned into like mini mom because my mom worked all day and my dad worked all day and didn't live with us. And I think about when I was really young, how they would push me to do more or, or reward more, right? Like I was such a dweeb. I remember um, in third grade, my dad was like, if you get straight A's, you can have anything you want. And I walked into Costco and was like, I want this book on Abraham Lincoln. 
Like, I was so like, you. love it. Right. <laughs> also, I'm fascinated by that man. So I feel like some of it is just ingrained when you watch people, like you said, who there's no alternative, you got to do it. But I also feel like there, so there's a part of it that's learned or modeled maybe, but I have met people who had really tough goings who still fall asleep, like fall apart at tough goings. So it's fascinating to hear about people building inner strength because I don't think you can teach it as an adult. I think you have to like have it a spark of it and have it modeled. Well, if you can teach it, I don't know how, and I don't want to know how either. <laughs> I don't want to know how either. You know, like my, my mom always said, like, you can only help somebody who wants help. You can only help somebody who also is helping themselves. You can't come to me with no heart and expect me to build a few. I can't. You've got to have a little something when you walk yeah. in the door. Yeah. Heather, 30 minutes with you. And I'm convinced that every woman in this world needs a Heather in their corner. Like I agree. No joke. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for our our think tank of three tribe. I have no doubt this is going to be one. We often kind of joke amongst the three of us about how we go back and re-listen to our own podcasts. And this is going to be one. We we joke about it because we're like, oh, I said something that was good. And then we kind of laugh about it. But this is definitely one that I think will help so many people. So thank you for sharing your story. But before we go, we're not, we're not quite done yet. We (laughs) collect advice from our guests so that we can continue to share this. So we have three rapid fire questions for you. Um, Just kind of like off the top of your head from your heart. You ready? Go. Number one, is there a lesson that you've recently learned that you wish you had learned earlier? That's a good one. I would say my whole life has been a battle of let it go, right? You can't control everything. You can only control yourself. You can only control your reaction to things, to let things go. And I think every year that lesson gets learned and it gets easier to put into practice. It is a thing. You you can't control other people. You can't control how they feel about you. You can't control what makes them happy. You can't fix it every time they're sad. You got to just let other people live theirs and worry about you. From the lessons you've learned in your life, what advice would you offer to women? Never stop fighting. Never stop. You can't stop it. No, you can't stop it. I don't think so. You can't stop it. This is hard. Like one of my, the, the best way I put it is it gets harder before it gets good. And Mm. if you're going across to get to the other side and you get to the middle and it gets real hard, you already know where you came from. Leave that alone. You've got to go through it to get to it, you know? I love her. I just do. Uh, (laughs) She's got a girl crush. (laughs) I have a girl crush on Heather Hardy. What can I say? Uh, In today's world, what do you think the most important skill for a woman is to have? Um, You got to have thick skin. Because the better you get, the more they hate you. The better you get, the more they hate you. I don't care. You know, and this is why everyone says, like, I'm a man hater. No, there are lots of wonderful men in the world. But there are a lot of very insecure men hate to see women succeed. So it gets harder, the better you get. You got to have a thick skin. I learned, especially with social media, that if 10 people tell me I'm beautiful, 
there is going to be three of them, three people who tell me how ugly, fat, stupid I am. Of those three people, maybe one believes it. The other two are just trying to bring you down. You just can't let the outside stuff get to you. You got to have thick skin. You got to stick to your goal and you got to charge at it. All right, Heather, I'm going to start following you immediately on social media. Everywhere. Um, Everywhere. Because I think the girl crush is, uh, it's spreading. <laughs> uh, but what is, the, what is the best way for our audience to connect with you? Is it is it through social media? What's the best way to follow you? Sure. Um, I think we all know at this point, like Facebook is just like family. Nobody really does that anymore. <laughs> um, I post most often on my Instagram and my Twitter. And my IG is at Heather the Heat. And my Twitter is at Heather Hardy Bots. Followed. I was going to say, Audrey. <laughs> that's why Audrey's quiet. She's like literally <laughs> typing right now. <laughs> I was like, let me pull up my Instagram. Let me check out Twitter. It's an even mix of political rants, inspirational quotes, and just dumb, silly stuff. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. <laughs> Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. This oh, thanks so has much been for having awesome. Me. Yeah. Yes. And this has been another episode of the Think Tank of Three. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, send us a message at thinktankofthree at gmail.com. Subscribe to the Think Tank of Three wherever you listen to podcasts and connect with us online. We blog weekly at thinktankofthree.com. Follow us on social media. You can find us individually on LinkedIn and as Think Tank of Three on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Women, click to join our private group on Facebook where we can all share advice and articles. And if you liked what you heard in the podcast, share it. You can find Think Tank of Three on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music, and SoundCloud.